0: Om yogena chittasya padena vacham Malam Sharirasya sya chavadhyakena Yo karottam pravaram muninam Patanjalim pranjali ranatosmi So in the last class, we were studying the sutras where we found that how the perception happens, the process of perception, whether it is seeing or listening or taste or smell or touch, these are the five perceptions. So how the what is the process of this perception and how those perceptions do? Uh, by default, is something which speaks of consensus reality. As we were indicating, there is no such absolute reality as such outside. It is the way we perceive the world, all of us perceive in the same way. And that we give a consent. yes, this is the reality. But it doesn't happen all the time. That our mind do have black spots, the blind spots, just like the eye. (coughs) And our vision, our perception do get distorted, tented as per our biases, temperaments and likings. And that's all we were dealing with in the last class, the sutras which deals with these ways of perception and how they get affected by our vasanas that we were studying. Now today, We will enter into the section of the Yoga Sutra where it is dealing with the question that the Purusha is the conscious principle. The Yoga Sutra takes it for granted that the ultimate reality is dual. Purusha and Prakriti, the nature and the conscious principle behind it. The conscious principle in interaction with the nature is creating this universe. Whatever we are seeing is the interaction of the Purusha and the Prakriti. Now this standpoint of yoga is not accepted by all, especially uh, those belong to the non-Vedic tradition like the Buddhist, which is also substantiated in the present days by the Western philosophy by the Western psychology, the modern science. They also do not consider that consciousness as such is a fundamental aspect of reality. They say that it is an epiphenomenon. By the way of interaction of the matter, consciousness just have evolved. It is not the phenomenon, it is the epiphenomenon. Whereas we find Vedanta and the yoga school, they have some difference, even the Vedanta and the yoga among themselves, But as an overall view, they consider that consciousness is something which is the fundamental. Actually, the nature is the epiphenomenon. Whatever we see is an epiphenomenon. The consciousness, as long as we don't take into consideration the consciousness, the nature doesn't exist. So these are the two contending views. And how Vedanta is tackling, as this yoga is tackling, is dealing with this contention that in those days when the yoga theory was formulated all these yoga sutras were formulated so it's most probably the buddhism was at its rise and just to contend the buddhist idea of kshanika vada kshanikavada, mean? kshana means moment that, the mom- that consciousness which we, from the Vedantic standpoint of view, from the yoga standpoint of view, we say is the substratum of what, of all the perceptions that are happening. Where we find the Buddhists say it is not, the consciousness is shanika. At each and every moment, the perception is happening. And along with the perception, the consciousness evolves just for that moment, Again, the next moment, the same thing happens. Then how we get a sense of continuity? They say it is just like that when the successive, when you, that apparent continuity is merely because of the production of successive effects of each moment. To give an example, you know, when in the olden days, the movie the, in the, is the reel, the movie reel is revolving and the light is falling on the movie reel to project it on the screen. In the screen, we see all the characters are moving, speaking, laughing, all movements are there. But if you go and watch the reel, you will find that it is actually a series of the static pictures, just photographs. It is, there is nothing which is moving. All those static photographs, when they're moving, when the reel is moving very fast and the light is falling in it, you, give, you get the impression of all the characters moving around. So now, as we have the movie reel, we find that Buddhist view do have some substance. It's not that they're just speaking something that out of the blue, that every moment the reality is created and we have a sense of continuity because of that flow, that successive flow of the successive moments. And so they say there is no need to think of consciousness behind it. So it apparently appears to be a very strong view, even the modern science substantiates to it. Very interestingly, you will find that no religious philosophy has been entertained in the academic campus, except Buddhism. Because somehow Buddhism with its idea of no consciousness, no God, the science finds that easily it can be related to. But then, is Vedanta Yoga something which has no reason to say that there is a conscious principle? For that, some very interesting sutras in the Yoga Yoga philosophy uh, has been uh, stated. It is from the seventeenth to the till the twenty-third sutras of the fourth chapter. So. This uh, is the thing which we are going to discuss today. Now we will find there is not only the Buddhist, which is substantiated by the Western uh, psychology, the modern science. There is another view that of the Western philosophy. In Western philosophy, they equate consciousness with the mind. The father of Western philosophy is Descartes. His famous dictum, I think, therefore I am, means the mind is equated with consciousness. Here also we will find Vedanta is contending that idea. They say, No, mind is not conscious. Something beyond the mind is there, with which is conscious. In that, then with the mind in association with that conscious principle appears to be conscious. It's by itself not conscious. So that also. The yoga philosophy, and of course, the Vedanta philosophy here as we are taking the yoga school. So from the yoga standpoint, we will see that how they're contending those thoughts. So now let us enter one by one. This idea is in a way, uh, very significant, because you will find that each of the school of philosophy had its own way to con to just support its own ideas to substantiate its own ideas. And That actually will make you think, simply just brushing off that there is no consciousness. If you are really scientific, why not give a, uh, what you say, this look, give some judgment to what the way of thinking in which the yoga philosophy is thinking. And you will find that they also have a very substantial view of looking at this problem of consciousness. So now let us enter into the Sutra to find out how Yoga is dealing with this problem. The 17th Sutra of the 4th chapter, Sada gyata Chitta Vrittaya tat Prabho Purushasya The very first thing they are saying that something when everything is moving, to have an impression that the of what you say that the impression of perception to perceive something when everything is moving, unless you have a substratum, how can you really uh, have the perception. So we will come that here also you will find that this is uh, something which is of not uh, of no importance. Because of of course, in the modern day with our all scientific knowledge, immediately most probably so many ideas will be bubbling in your mind. that. This idea is in no way can contend the idea of uh, the Buddhism or the idea of the Western uh, science and Western psychology. But we will go gradually. It is not the first, it is not, not the only Sutra. From 17 to 23rd, we will go gradually. It is taking up the subject in steps. First it is saying, Sada Gyata Chitta That the Chitta is. What are the chitta vritti?s My mind is constantly breaking into bra- waves. That's the thing which never stops, unceasing. It's only in samadhi you can stop the chitta vritti.s Not even in deep sleep. In deep sleep also chitta vritti.s are there. Even the modern science will say you the modulations of the mind is always there. The nature changes. The type changes when you are sleeping, when you are active, when you are dreaming. But The waves are. It is constantly the waves are there. So this Chitta Vritti and how our perceptions happen when I am seeing the red flower it is not exactly the way that is what happens. Just to understand the idea that how the perception happens the red flower is as if reflected in that wave. In the ocean there are a lot of waves and suppose the sun is being reflected in each and every wave. And the content of the wave speaks of perception. So that content of the wave is the reflected sun. That content of the wave in Sanskrit is called Pratyaya. So now the mind is constantly breaking into waves and each wave has a particular Pratyaya. What are you thinking, what you are seeing, what you are perceiving is the Pratyaya. Now, very interesting if I say that each and every moment one Vritti is arising, falling, The knowledge which we get from it is just momentary, which is carried on to the next moment. And that's how the perception happens. The first thing yoga says, that unless you think of one as a Parinami, unchanging, how can you think uh, of relating the old perceptions with the current perceptions? That it is that the thing, suppose uh, I see a flower which has bloomed today and it is still there in the plant tomorrow, maybe for three, four days. The idea it is the same flower which is there for three, four days. So, this linking of the ideas, if everything is constantly changing, how can you have the idea it is the same flower unless there is something which is a parinami, unchanging? To explain this idea, in the last class, also we gave that example. That what's that example? With that which we with which we can understand this sutra, that the various states of minds are always known. Sada gyata chitta I always know the chitta vrittis. I know what the vrittis are. Because the Lord of the mind, the purusha, a parinamitvat, that purusha is unchangeable. What it is saying, with an example, it will become very clear. In the last class, also we refer to this example. Suppose I am now sitting in the shrine. In this shrine, at morning, say from 8 o'clock, some visitor comes and he is alone. He sits here for meditation from 8 to 9. And most probably he leaves at 9. From 9 to 9.30, no one is there. And then at 9.30, some other person comes. Say Mr. B. The first was Mr. A. And then Mr. B comes in at 9.30. And he most probably is chanting here for another half an hour from 9 to 10. So now, is there any way for A to know that B was here or B to know that A was here? They came at different times, there was a gap. Or is there any way to know that from 9 to 9.30, no one was there? If everything is happening momentarily, then how come we say that, yes, I was sleeping from such and such, such hour to such an hour, means when they, when no one was there. And then I was doing such and such thing from such time to such time. And then again, I was uh, engaged in some other activities from, from this time to this time. I can, if in retrospect, I know there's all those things. How can I connect all those things? Unless if the, if the it's all everything is momentary, that this is changing how can i relate so vedanta says you have to take a sakshi there most probably there was a person sitting there all through he saw that a came was there for some time left then there was no one for there in the shrine for for quite a, uh, for about half an hour then again someone came and he was engaged in some other activities it is a he the one who is sitting there all through he can relate that yes. So so this eternal sakshi, unchanging has to be resorted to to really link up all the ideas. If you say everything is momentary, how can we relate? We can relate that what uh, I was doing yesterday, what I have seen yesterday and there is a continuum. It is the same me who is seeing all those things. That's the idea. If everything is momentary, how can I relate to that? So that's the In the 17th Sutra, the first idea which we uh, are getting here. Uh, Yes. Then the next idea. What is the next idea? Is uh, the 18th Sutra. uh, In the 18th Sutra, before going to that, we will now say we can say that why we have to take someone as Sakshi. If we consider that the mind itself is conscious, as the Descartes says, I think, therefore I am. Then the mind itself, if it's conscious, then it itself becomes a witness. Why have to think someone apart from the mind as the Sakshi? So again, we find here, yeah, it's a very a strong point. Now, how yoga is contending to that idea? So here's the next sutra, 18th. So let us read the sutra and then we'll find that what they want to say, to contend this idea that why not consider the mind itself to be self-conscious. It is it itself the witness. It is seeing what's going on. And as in One aspect of the mind is the witness and another aspect of the mind, the perceptions are going on. So this aspect as a witness can relate to what all is going on. Why we have to take some other conscious principles separately. So now again, we find it's really something which is quite, it appears to be quite justified. So the next sutra, what it says is very interesting that the mind cannot be self-luminous. Why? Natat swa bhasam drishvatvat. It cannot be swa means it cannot be self-luminous. The word, the Sanskrit term bha means luminous, knowledge, luminosity. Is bha. That's why Surya, the sun is called bhanu. India was a knowledge society. That's why it's called bharata. Bha means illumination, knowledge. Rata means engaged. A society who is engaged in the pursuit of knowledge. That's bharata. So the bha means illumination. Swabha means self illumination. So the mind cannot be self illuminating. Na tat swabhasam. The chitta or the mind stuff itself cannot be self-illuminating. Why? Drishyatvat. It's a very interesting thing. That as it is something that is seen, this is a wonderful idea. We will come to this aspect even in the modern science, in the modern neurology. There is a particular section of scientists who have started that with neurology with all its development actually deals with the easy problem of the consciousness. They in no way ever ever go near the hard problem of consciousness. What is the hard problem of consciousness? That's indication easier. Now, what is the hard problem? Now see that when uh, I am seeing a thing, Another one aspect is there is a self-reflective awareness. What is the self-reflective awareness? I know that I am seeing. You have the knowledge of your perception. You may say, what's the specialty about it? Yes, with the modern science, when following the Descartes dictum, that I think, therefore I am. So it is the mind which can explain all the conscious principle. So the modern science was trying to imitate the mind. And still all the experiments are going on in the name of artificial intelligence. And we find a robot is almost um, uh, in many aspects, can be at par with the human being. Sometimes they're doing something better. And there is a claim that we have almost imitated consciousness. And that's only through matter. Consciousness is an epiphenomenon, see. It's just like walking like a human you order something, it will do for you, it will bring you a cup of tea. So it is, though it is it has to be more elaborate, but to, to a certain extent, we have already imitated. But from within the section of science, the scientists they are saying that yes, what you have imitated is just the way by seeing the way our mind works, you have tried to imitate that, and that has been programmed in the robot. But whatever we do, whatever we see. There is a self-reflective awareness. When I am seeing something, I know I am seeing. When I am doing something, I know I am doing. When someone has asked me to just uh, bring a cup of tea for him, I know it is I who have prepared and brought it. When you ask the robot, go and bring a cup of tea, it goes and brings you a cup of tea. Does the robot know that it has been asked to bring a cup of tea? That self-reflective awareness, does it know? Does it know that it is preparing the tea? Does it know that it, 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 it comes me and serves the tea? So that's the big question. That's the hard problem of consciousness that I am sure only of one existence, that is my existence. When the artificial intelligence becomes something, a common phenomenon, someone is sitting in front of me most probably I want to know whether it is a real man or an artificial intelligence. It may be so sophisticated, but then the question comes the doubt comes is that person conscious I don't know, but only I am sure about my own consciousness because I know I am reflecting that I cannot deny. So how to explain that, that I am reflect I, I can just self-reflect when i'm seeing something i know i am saying so as if i am seeing my mind when my mind is perceiving i know i am perceiving when my mind with the help of my mind's resolution i'm doing something i know it is the mind which has taken the resolution to do i know that so as if someone is behind the mind so mind also becomes drishya seen it is not the seer and before, you know, Drik Drishya Viveka starts with this idea. Uh, there is a uh, this small treatise on Vedanta called Drik Drishya Viveka. It starts with that, this idea. Wonderful idea. What's that? Rupam Drishyam. The external world, whatever I see is Drishya, is something sin. Why? Because the lochanam, the eyes are the seer. Now, what is the characteristic of a seer and the sin? The seer can see everything, but it cannot see itself. Can you, can your, can with your eye you see your own eye? You cannot. So the Drik, the Drashta is the one with who can see other things, but not itself. So let us start with this. When I'm seeing the external world, the external world is the Drishya, is the sin. My eyes are the seer. So what's the characteristic that it cannot see itself? Just in this context, uh, let me uh, tell you a very, in, very nice incident in the life of Swami Vivekananda. Swami Vivekananda, when he was in America, he was the guest of some American devotee. And he was uh, meditating in, in her house. And the small child in, in that house was curious that what this Swami is doing. So it somehow managed to just creep into the room. And seeing Swami in that, you know, that uh, meditative posture, it never knew what's meditation is. he has closed his eyes, sitting quietly. So uh, just out of curiosity, he slowly crept in and came and sat on Swamiji's lap, Swami Vivekananda's lap. So naturally Vivekananda's eyes opened. He made his meditation. meditation. Just when the moment he sat, he came out of his meditation and seeing the child, he smiled. Now the child knew that he is the one who is a religious person who thinks of God, contemplates on God. So that vague idea he had. So now this child out of curiosity, he asked Swamiji whether he, do really God exist? Swamiji just had to reply to the child. He told, yes, God do exist. The next question the child asked, then why cannot I see him? As simple as that. If God exists, why cannot I see him? And Swami Vivekananda replied, can you see your eyes? And the child never understood that. But he remembered the Swami's answer much later when he has grown up. In his reminiscences, he's mentioning, mentioning this uh, incident. very interesting incident. That can God be seen? Uh, does God exist? Yes, God do exist. Then why don't I see? Can you see your eyes? So that's the idea. Rupam Drishyam. With the eyes, I see everything. Can you see your own eyes? No. But how do I know the existence of my eyes? That eyes now becomes the Drishya. When? When you, you know, re- refer it to the mind, whatever I see through the mind, the eye is just a golaka. In Sanskrit, they don't they, they never say these external organs as the organs. They are called golaka. Very interesting term. Golaka means apparatus, a whole. It is a hole through which the real perception is happening in the mind. So whatever perception is happening through the eyes, I know because it is processed by the mind. So now let us go step by step. First, the external world is the Drishya. My eyes are the Drik. What is the thing? The Drishya may be varied, many, the thing by which you are seeing is one. If you take the pair of eyes as a one unit, it is one, but it can see many. The things it is seeing is constantly moving, but it is sitting in one place, it is unmoving. And the third thing is that it can see everything, but not itself. But I am aware of my eyes. Why? Now, because I, now in the next step, I becomes the Rishi. The mind is the seer. I is the sin. I is the, uh, the mind is the seer. We can really understand that. Again, the same thing all the perceptions which are happening. Not only through the eyes, through ears, through your smell, through your touch. All these are processed by the mind. These all perceptions may be varied, but the mind is one. These all perceptions may be uh, in constant flow, but the mind is there as a unit, stationary, perceiving all those things. And here also, again, the same thing. The mind can see all those perceptions, but it cannot see itself. Now the question comes, then then, how am I aware when I see the flower, that I know the flower? That says that mind, as if, uh, is known by someone. So here they say in Vedanta, in yoga, there's an idea, very wonderful idea, that to know the principles of the world, study a small thing, know it for certain, the microcosm and the macrocosm are built in the same manner. It's a wonderful theory. Even in the modern science, we find a reflection of it when they speak of anthropic principle. That if you can study the small part of the nature, the entire universe gets revealed the way it is working. To give common examples, we need not go to that complicated science, intricate science. You see that Whenever uh, an object is moving around, that we know that the planets are moving around the sun. You take an atom, the same thing. The electrons are moving around. You take the magnetic force, the magnetic dipole. If you just throw the iron filings around a magnet, they will align almost in an electrical or some circular fashion. Everywhere. Whether it is the movement of the atoms, whether it is the movement of the planets, whether it is the movement of the entire galaxy, you will find it is something not exactly circular, it is something elliptical. So this, this, we are giving this, this example that if you study the nature, you will find that it repeats itself in the same manner. What in the words uh, in Bengali, it is say, jaha bhande, ache bhanda means the microcosm. Bhanda And Brahmanda means the macrocosm, the entire universe. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say very interesting thing, that if you want to find out when the uh, housewife is cooking rice, now she wants to find out whether the rice is cooked or not. What she will do, she will just pick up one rice and press it. And if he finds it is soft enough, she knows where for certain that the rice has been cooked. All the rice are soft. She did not have to press all the rice. Just by pressing one, the rice, she knows that all the rice has been cooked. So similarly, if you can know a small part of the universe, how it is small part of the existence, how it is working, you can know the plan behind the entire universe. So here we started with the eyes. Then what we found that how the eyes work, that when it is, I take it as a drishya, it sees everything, but it cannot see itself. So when I go to the mind, the same thing works. The mind sees everything, not itself. Then from that the question comes that someone else is seeing the mind. So that is his mention. The first rupam drishyam, lochanam drick. The external world is the drishya. I is the seer. Next is tad drishyam. The I becomes the sin. Drick tu manasam. The seer is the mind. Now the next is vi vrittaya sakshi. So there is a sakshi who is seeing the vrittis of the mind. Now you say, who is that? That cannot be known. If you know it, then that becomes an object. So you have, that will add, that will lead you to a fallacy in uh, philosophy, which is called ad infinitum. You have to go on. So you have to stop somewhere. So the final, the ultimate subject cannot be seen. It can be understood. Just the way, can we see light? We cannot see light. You know, very interesting. We think we can see light. Actually, what is happening when the light is falling in the atmosphere? That atmosphere is diffracting the light rays, and I see so everything lighted. Where there is no atmosphere, there is, there is you cannot see light. If you go to the moon, there the atmosphere is almost not there, it is very rarefied. Even in the daytime, what you will see, the sun is just sparkling in the sky. But the total uh, at one at one point, the place where the sun is. It is, of course, illuminated, but the entire sky is dark Entire sky is dark. It means pitch dark. You can see light. You can just, if you look at the sun, you see the light and on the moon's surface, you see the light, but the sky is dark because there's no atmosphere. Being, Being on earth, we have an idea that light can be seen. Light cannot be seen. Light can be seen only when it is some falling on an object. Otherwise, it cannot be seen. Similarly, the consciousness—if it has to be taken as a fundamental—but you may ask what it is. Science can never find out what it is because the fundamental is a fundamental thing based on which everything can be explained. But it cannot be explained. It, you cannot explain it, that consciousness itself because once you can explain it, it becomes an object, and you have to think of some other subject. So now we have this very interesting thing that. This conscious principle, the witness, the Sakshi, its existence we know because the mind can be seen. What I am seeing through the mind, I know what I am seeing. So that proves that there is a Sakshi. Now if you ask, who is that Sakshi? That can never be known. Once you know it, then it also becomes an object. So this you will find a wonderful idea, which yoga is bringing into consideration, but the Argument doesn't stop here. Even the the science, the Buddhist point of view is very strong. They will bring the idea of Kshanika Vada. That as we told, that everything is momentary and that flow gives the idea of continuity. And we may say that idea is bogus. Unless there is a Shakshi, how can one really be uh, witnessing the the continuum? But now with the development of the modern science, the Buddhists have found wonderful ideas. They're elated that our theory is correct. Why? Because nowadays you do get bus without the driver. There are all those bus moving. So the Buddhists have started saying that we are a bus without driver. There's no self. (laughs) So, And this example which we gave for that also a very nice way of saying is there. Why we have to take a sakshi that in this room suppose from that morning 8 to 8, 9, 1 person was there from 9 to 9.30, no one was there. From 9.30 to 10, someone was there. Why we have to take a person to really understand that what, what was going on throughout the day? Why if we have a, just a surveillance camera? Everything can be find out. Is that surveillance camera uh, consciousness? No. So just one flow of this this uh, every moment can be recorded in something which is not conscious and from that we can have a sense of continuum the modern discoveries is actually really as buddha's view now you find vedanta is gone yoga is gone but it is not that easy so now let us continue with the next sutra what they ask this vedanta uh, this yoga has to say the 19th sutra that still, when you say that, that momentariness is the final explanation, the Kshanikavada is the final explanation, which is confirmed by the Western psychology as well as the modern science. Now, again, Vedanta will pose a question. What's that? Eka cha ubhaya anavadharanam? Eka samay, At the same time, when I am Seeing the flower. There are two types of awareness. One is the awareness of the flower, and another is the self awareness that I know that I am seeing the flower. So there's two awareness one is the self awareness, and this is the object awareness. So at a time, these two can never exist together. This sutra is saying. So now we find now let us just try to understand that what it is saying. So we already saw in the 17th Sutra, it was stated that Sada Gyata Chitta Vrittaya Tat Prabho Purushasya that I have to think of something, someone as Aparinami, unchanging, Sakshi, to relate to all those changes. And now with the Buddhist point of view, that even uh, instead of going to the technicalities, we gave an example that if you take a surveillance camera, then the problem will be solved. Now, here, what they're saying is something very important. That actually relates to the hard problem of consciousness. This 19 Sutra is bringing that hard problem of consciousness into the picture. So, what is this to contain this argument? It's very interesting. Yes, with the surveillance camera, I can find out what was going on throughout the day. But now, here, they're asking when the surveillance camera is as if uh, perceiving the object, is it at the same time aware of itself? That's the thing that Vedanta is asking: Is the camera aware that it is taking the pictures? It's not aware. But when I am perceiving as a conscious being, I am I aware? Yes. So now, so if you take the mind, where is now his Vedanta is asking that. Can you show me, can you show this yoga is asking, can you show me that when you are ob- having object consciousness, at the same time, there is a self-awareness in that camera? Big question. So that that's the thing. So I am not aware. So now let us again go back to that idea. Rupam Drishyam Lochanandrik. And the eyes see. And then the two things cannot be together. The eye is aware of the object, but is it aware of itself? No. For that, the mind is required, isn't it? So at a time, a thing cannot be aware of the object as well as of itself. Just start with the eye. When the eye is seeing the world, is it aware of itself? No. For that, you require the mind. Now so again, now you go back to the mind. When the mind mind is seeing the perceptions, the same that. If that in the entire universe is built in the same plan, the first I started with the I. There I saw when the eye is seeing the world, it cannot be self aware of itself. Then now we come to the mind. When the mind is observing all the perceptions with the same theory, it cannot be aware of itself. If the same way, then someone must be seeing that, that who is. Uh, uh, that watching the uh, what, what all is going on in the mind, that must be observed by someone, then only you can reflect that I know that I am seeing the flower. That self-awareness is possible only when someone, because these two cannot go together. So here comes the question that as it is never possible for the two to go together, you can just show that anything, the camera, is it aware of itself when it is taking the picture? No. That who ha- who is aware the one who has fixed the camera, who, who later on comes and checks, he is the conscious being. He is aware. He then will feel that yes, it is I who am seeing. But the, can can the camera itself uh, have the self awareness? No. The one who is seeing the pictures of the camera, he is the uh, he is the awareness factor. Then only the, the, thus we find in the world you can never show, as per as the. Uh, what you say, the replication, the the way the mind works, even if you replicate, you can never show that these two are together. That's what the Sutra says. Can you show a single example where ekasamaya at the same time, Ubhaya, means the self-awareness as well as the object awareness are existing together. They cannot be. Anavadharanam. If that be the case, how can you say that the mind is self-aware itself when it is perceiving the all the objects. So Eka samayaca, ubhaya you just it is very interesting even they have understood this hard problem of consciousness which we are speaking of in the time but from this sutra the language is different but if you decipher it it is actually speaking of that hard problem that when you are observing a thing then you uh, your, your awareness is of that object, you can never be aware of yourself. So at last, behind the mind, again, you have to think because the mind when it is observing all the perceptions of the senses, at the same time, it cannot observe itself. So you have to consider someone behind the mind. Then who it is, again, the same question. If you can find out who it is, then again, someone has to be thought of who is observing that. So it will create that problem of ad infinitum. So you have to stop somewhere who is the, the shakshi, the conscious principle, who knows the mind, when the mind is perceiving the external world, because as the, these two can never exist together. So that's the idea uh, which uh, yoga is bringing, ubhaya There are some other technicalities in it, we are not bringing it here in the discussion because it becomes very difficult to understand. Just in as simple way as it is possible, we are trying to explain this idea. If you uh, if go to the technicalities, it is actually more amazing, more amazing. Because uh, you know that what uh, Buddhist will say, the Buddhist view is something wonderful. These philosophies were discovered thousands of years back and it amazes us that how deep they were, uh, their, their thought processes were. Buddhism says, Uh, That answer, how that yoga, this Vedanta is giving, it's very difficult to understand, but what Buddhism says is very interesting, that what is happening that at one moment I am aware of myself, the next moment I'm aware of the object. And it is happening so fast, that gives me the sense that I am aware of the object. But one moment you are self-aware, at the next moment you are object-aware. Self-aware, object-aware. It is just like, to just give an example. In the school days, we used to do an experiment. What's the experiment? That in a sheet of paper, in one side, you draw a cage, bird's cage. And on the other side, you draw a bird. And that page, you now fix with a stick, which so that you can rotate with your hands. In with your palms, you can rotate the stick, so that the page also will be just re- not uh, revolving, it will just 180 degree. It will turn, and again it will turn for another 180 degree. So that's how it will go on turning. So you see one face. Uh, uh, this moment, the very next moment, you see the other face. When you, if you do this experiment, we all, most of us, did as a child, you will find that the bird is sitting in the cage, where the bird is inside the cage. This actually explains the. Uh, this uh, retention capacity of the, the, the eye, whatever it sees, it retains for some time. And within that time, if something else enters, these two gets, uh, this two gets synthesized. These two get becomes, these two perceptions becomes one whole. So though the uh, actually the bird is not in the cage, I see the bird in the cage. Actually, this is the principle which speaks of the way we see the TV. TV it is only dots. There is no picture, but they're moving so fast. It gives the idea of the picture. The fan when it is revolving, you see that now when the fan is stationary, you can see the blades. When it is revolving, you see it as a disc. Why? Because when the, by the time one blade moves away from your vision, uh, the retention capacity of the eye still keeps it in your vision, the next comes. So it, it appears as a disc, you don't see the blades anymore. So here the Buddhists view is what, still they will argue. That no, it is, it is the shana only. Why? That one moment you are aware of yourself; the next moment you are aware of the object, and it is happening so fast that it gives either idea that it is you are seeing that I that you is also something generated. The idea of self-awareness is also generated. The object awareness is also generated. There is no need for consciousness, and this too gives the idea that one conscious thing is seeing something else so there also we will find vedanta is the contending with this idea that if that's the source that's the, that's the case when you are self aware when you are self aware how the question of the question comes that you should be object aware means uh, the change the change for that that that, that uh, the change happening in the mind that from uh, self awareness to the object awareness uh, What's the motivation for that? It should go. It should be always be self-aware. Just uh, this uh, idea is very difficult to understand. But I will tell. Uh, we will try to understand with some common example. You nowadays we all have our mobile phone. In the mobile phone, there is a uh, the, you have the camera, and that camera with that camera you can take the your selfie as well as you can take the picture of an object. For selfie, you have to change it into the selfie mode. And then you, and for taking the picture of the object, again, you have to change the mode so that you can shot, uh, if, uh, take the shot which is in front of you. Can these two happen together? Can you take the selfie as well as the picture together? So they say with their momentary theory, you are saying that that this moment you are just taking the selfie, the next moment you are taking the picture and this two somehow has to synthesize. Can it ever be synthesized? With a mobile, if you go on taking selfie and the picture of the object, these two, however fast you may do, these two remain segregated, separated. There's no question of one tagging with the other. The objects may be tagged together and this consciousness may be tagged together to give a sense of I, but there cannot be the idea that I am seeing. So you cannot explain, but they will say, okay, okay, I cannot explain that I am seeing, but this I, do you agree that it is a created something? It is not there. Then say, yes, I do agree. This I is created. Well, then, then what is the question of consciousness? Then the Vedanta's answer is very this is that I told it's a bit technical, but for the sake of the sutra we are discussing, very nice. That Swamiji, very in easy way, gave that answer. That if that I is a delusion, then what is the question of consciousness? The Buddhism, there is a question of Alata. There's, uh, alata means a fire ring. When you are moving a torch very fast, you don't see the torch. You see a ring, It's just a ring of fire. Is the ring of fire really there? No. Anything moving fast gives a sensation of that ring of fire. So in Buddhism, they will say that this ring, of the, the way you see the ring of fire, the same way you have the idea of I. Now, how to contend it? The Vedanta has its technical language. We need not go to that. It becomes very difficult to understand. Swami Vivekananda, in a very simple way, in one sentence, is contending that idea. He says, Yes, if you look at the objective reality, Buddhism seems to be perfect. Even the modern science seems to be perfect. That, yes, this ring is not there. It appears as a ring. Similarly, the eye is being created. Now, Swamiji is asking the moment you take the subject into consideration, everything falls off. The ring is not really there. Someone is deluding at it as a ring. Who is deluding it? The one who is getting deluded, he is the self. Yes, it is not the correct thing. The I which at present, the sensation of I which I have, even Vedanta says that is out of ignorance. That is not the real I. That you have to go beyond that. But this I, the one who is deluding it as I, this constant flow as I, the one who is deluding is the self in even in Western psychology, there are particular sections, they say, the one who is doubting the existence of the self is the self who is doubting. So now we will just just all these discussions we are bringing to say that both the parties really have strong views. It's not that uh, we can simply brush off when yoga and Vedanta is saying that consciousness is something fundamental. And we will find that even in modern science, though that section is quite small, they are bringing out again and again, this hard problem of consciousness for which we will find the entire uh, science generally avoids that because after all, the science uh, is based on technology, that our motivation for developing sciences so that we can have something by which our technology is developed. If it is something abstract, we are not bothered. We are not bothered about the truth. We are bothered about how we can apply the so-called scientific theory. So with all whether mind, whether real consciousness is there or not, science is not bothered because if somehow I can imitate the mind and can make artificial intelligence with that, I can have a lot of utility. It has a utilitarian value. But whether consciousness is there or not, that has no utilitarian value. As such, it has utilitarian value for a spiritual a person who is spiritually inclined, he knows. That this cycle of birth and death and suffering is never going to end unless I get established in that. But for most of us, we are not bothered about that because of our myopic vision. So, it has that type of uh, approach has no utilitarian value. So, they never go for it. And that's why the majority of the science is only technology based. But if you really want to find out the truth, then you have to take into consideration the hard problem of consciousness. And it really puts a big question mark. On the idea that nothing is uh, what do you say that permanent? Nothing is permanent. Nothing is consciousness, which is fundamental. These ideas, they are not bothered. They simply brush off. It is not in our purview. We never bothered about it because it has no utilitarian value. It has utilitarian value for one who has somehow developed that spiritual uh, inclination. To go out of this a madhouse called the universe, where with all our technology, all our development, we find we in no way can straighten the curly tail of the dog. It never straightens. Then we think of another dimension of existence, and there, this theory, which appears now to be abstract, we find has a utilitarian value, and that's what, why this these things have been discussed. You will find is not just for the some speculations. Because these sutras will be followed by the practice that once you know that mind is not the ultimate reality, that there is something which is unchanging behind that through discrimination when you know that. Now the practice start getting the detachment so that you get established in that. So there, the utilitarian value is there. So these discussions are not merely meant for abstract knowledge. This will the once the idea gets cleared, now you will get the motivation for practice. So that's why these all discussions have been brought into picture or into our purview, so that the world may not easily delude us by saying nothing that is called uh, permanent, just eat, drink and be merry. And that's the idea of the char workers, versus the, versus those who were cross materialistic. They used to say that our existence is when we were born and our existence ends when we are dying so if that's the case then why should you think of being obliged by all those moral laws if somehow i have to live this life nicely then eat drink and be merry now to be to eat drink and be merry sometimes i may not have money so you have to be you have to speak very pleasing words so that you can somehow fool others to get the money so charwak means charu vak so we will find that modern day is not much different from that because the entire uh, present economy the tertiary economy based on how pleasingly you can advertise the things and you can fool others and you can live this life that's why the idea of charvaka was yavath jivet sukhang jivet as long as you live live happily but how to live happily if i don't have money kritwa Privet. take loan and drink ghee <laughs> that's the idea that if you don't, if you have to leave Sukha, then and how to take loan? That's pleasing words. charu vaka, char vaka. With the pleasing words, you can take the loan and you can uh, live a happy life. That's what the modern society is that somehow you have to convince the bank and take loan and live a happy life. So uh, that's all we are saying. That's why we are just saying that if that's your goal, then all these things have no meaning. But once you have understood that with all those that behind this something consciousness is there. And for that, that conviction is has to be strong because this all, uh, you will find the majority who is contending you with this idea of this gross materialism and you may get unsettled. So unless you have to a certain extent that your way of manana, this reflection to contain that idea, you may be swayed away. That's why yoga as the mother is showing you that when you know, when it happens that someone has told you something at uh, school, uh, bullied you by saying that uh, you are just a loser or something, you come back, the mother gives, back, gives you back, back the confidence by saying so many positive things. So here the same thing that you as a spiritual practitioner went to the world and the world told you that this, uh, you are just mad. What you are doing has no sense. And the yoga, like the mother, is giving you the conviction. No, no, no. You see, there is some way. So that's the work of the mother She that the yoga is doing. So you will find the sutras that way wonderful. Now the next thing, that uh, next sutra. Now you may say that why, why is the need of saying that there is a purusha? We can say that the mind is being observed by another mind. The first mind is the cognized mind. The next mind is the cognizer mind. But that is also mind. Just the way what was happening in the room was cognized by the camera, surveillance camera. That is also an object. So why not you think that that uh, that is another mind? So here again you will find that yoga is really giving a very reflective thought. The 20th Sutra. What it is saying? Chitantara buddhi buddhe atiprasanga smriti shankaracha. There are two defects in that. One is Atiprasanga and another is a Smriti Shankar. What are they? Chittantara That That If I think there is a cognizing mind, is assumed. Chit, this Chitta Antara. That apart from this mind, there is another mind. For, for which this mind is the Drishya. This Buddhi Buddhe. That that intellect is observing this intellect. If I think that, then the first defect is Atiprasanga. Then again you have to think another mind which is observing that mind. Till you get really someone who sees, there's a that uh, the camera has to be thought of, that that camera is being observed by another camera like that. You have to think. You will give a very, very appropriate example uh, to understand what they are saying. Atiprasanga. You will add. It, it will be leading to that defect called ad infinitum. That is atiprasanga. And smriti. Second thing is very interesting. Smriti shankara, confusion of memory. If your mind is observing a mind. Uh, then there is a confusion of memory. What actually it says is very interesting. That mind has two functions. One is to perceive, and another whatever is is perceived is not lost. It remains as Sangskara, it's saved. Just like in a computer, it is whatever you are uh, working, it is saved. And that again can come back as Smriti. So it is something like a receiver transmitter unit. It is receiving, and then I get transmit the mind is something like that receiving, saving, transmitting. Now this zoom class when I do that, what is this Sutra is saying that Smriti Shankara is very interesting. A few days back, it happened for me. Uh, I remember in one of the session, the sound stopped. The sound stopped. So the next day to find that most probably something went wrong. So the next day I thought, that first, let me check whether the sound is okay or not. Let me on the zoom, and then I, I as a uh, to monitor that whether the sound is there or not. I opened the zoom link in my mobile to find out whether the uh, sound uh, is here through the is audible through the mobile. Now I was not careful. I didn't keep it in the, with the earplug, just to see. Then what happened? Here is something, this this laptop is the mind which receives, saves, transmits. And for that, I'm using a monitor which is also something like the same mind. It also, the, the mobile is a shorter version of the laptop. It is also receiving the signal and then it can transmit. Now the moment, as it was working correctly, the sound which came out from the mobile, now I couldn't hear because immediately, uh, it was again uh, received by the laptop and again it came back as my what you say that uh, uh, transmitted again through the mobile. Again, it was received by the laptop. So, what happened that what I was speaking I couldn't hear, I could hear only the echo. Now, Smriti Shankara speaks a wonderful thing. It's like you are standing in a room to see your reflection in a mirror, but there's not only one mirror. That's one that uh, this opposite walls have mirror. So what you will see infinite reflections. So for a thing, there will be infinite memories and they all will clutter at a time when the memory is, is seeing something, the memory is revived from your samskaras mind. All these memories will come together to create that echo. And that's what the confusion of memory. So what will happen? Instead of getting the memory of something, you will be confused that what is happening. You will like, (coughs) instead of a particular sound, you will be hearing a noise that the mind has become too noisy. It is echoing because one is reflecting the other. Again, it is being reflected and it goes on. So just see, (coughs) we have these examples now, this laptop, mobile, this, our rishis or those who have propounded this theory, the small terms, Smriti Shankara, to relate how wonderful terms they are speaking. These terms sometimes we confuse, we don't understand. We write huge commentaries, which actually serves no meaning. which From this, no meaning comes out. But when you reflect it with the help of these modern gadgets, you can, even, you can just experiment and find out that you cannot be monitoring the laptop with another laptop. You have to take some measures so that that echo effect is not there. You will find that in in the when you have performance in the stage, they place the monitor in such a way that it should be behind, that the sound uh, which is being uh, uh, what is projected towards the audience, that sound the monitor shouldn't catch. It should be quite away, apart from that sound system. Otherwise, the same thing will happen there. So now you're saying that one mind is in proximity of the other mind. It is, is going to result in confusion of memory. Now you can understand, there are so many examples. You go to the auditorium where you find where the, how the monitors are placed, you will understand. You just try to check the sound here uh, uh, from the, whether through the zoom, the sound is going correctly or not. And you keep another gadget near you to find, you will find it that you can, you will hear only the echo. You can never hear what you are speaking. So that's the thing so you won't get the memory back. What you will get is a noise. You will be you will, be, you will just turn mad that what's going on in my mind, it's just cluttering going on without any specific knowledge coming out of it. So that's what is meant by Smriti Shankara. So Chittantara means if you think of another mind which is observing this mind, Buddhi Buddha, another intellect observing this Buddha, it will result first in Atiprasanga ad infinitum. You have to go think of another mind behind that, behind that, behind that. That is one and another is it will result in the confusion of the memory. So there are still uh, uh, three more sutras, which actually speaks of the separation uh, uh, that the uh, mind is itself not conscious. There has to be some conscious principle behind it. So those three uh, today, uh, uh, we don't have time anymore. So the next day we will continue with those three sutras and then we will proceed to the section Where after all this uh, discussion, through all this discussion, when you are supposed to develop that conviction that the real me is beyond this, beyond this, and how to be identified with that, as this chapter is called Kaivalya Pada, that to reach that state of liberation, that isolation, where you find that you exist by your own right. You you don't need the crutch of the mind, the body and the senses for your existence. You exist by your own right. And that existence is something which is beyond all dualities. You go beyond the ignorance. So to take us to that sadhana, first this Viveka is required. Then only we can have the proper Vairagya. So after these three sutras, the practice will come of the practice of the Vairagya leading to that again leading to the Kaivalya. And by that, the chapter will be over. So so there will be a few more, another uh, uh, 10, 12 Sutras will be there. So before ending, it is first giving us the conviction that yes, there is a conscious principle, which is your real identity. And to be identified with that by getting rid of the illusion is the be all and end all of your human existence. So with this we stop our discussion today. We will continue with the remaining sutras again in the next class. Thank you all. Namaskars.